case some people don't, Andy Weaver um, is an Amish gentleman. You can see that his family's Amish as well. And uh, a coal porter, or coal porter had visited him. Correct me if I get some of this wrong, but he got a hold of a Desire of Ages, read the book of Desire of Ages, was very impressed that it was in inspired writings, and it really touched his heart. There's a lot probably that all went on, but through that he ended up having Bible studies and studied the Adventist message and decided to become a Seventh-day Adventist. And that's a big thing when you're Amish because when you change your religion, you're disowned by the community, your family, and you're usually pretty much ostracized. But through all that, Andy decided the truth is the truth, and I'm going to follow Jesus because he's realized that's the most important thing. But he didn't stop just that. He didn't just accept the Adventist message, and that was it. He said, my brothers and sisters in the Amish community need to know this message as well. And so he has this, uh, a mission out there called West Salem Mission. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful church. There are beautiful people. I highly encourage you to go out there and visit. Uh, you can see he has his own testimony. You can find it on YouTube. He's been on 3A Band and, and numerous Adventist channels. So I encourage you, if you've never heard his testimony, uh, I highly encourage you to listen to that. But uh, I love Brother Andy. He's a true seven-day event. He's a solid brother. And, and I just love the Am Amish people in general. Just They call themselves the simple people, and I like that. You know that? We can learn something from the simple people, too. All right. Thanks, Brother Andy, for coming. Well, thank you, Elder. That was appropriate. Um, a good um, introduction. You know, like you said, more could be said, but in short, I found the writings of um, Alan White, and I was inspired because the writings are inspiring. Amen. Yes, I, I, <coughs> I think I'm, I, I turned it on. Yep. You know, I grew up, more than I, we grew up in the Amish people, as you said, and we believed in Jesus. He was the red. It says, come on, it read. It read. Okay, here we go. All right. We believed in Jesus, but we didn't know what that means. Because we, we didn't understand the significance of the death of Christ. What does that mean for us today? We, under, we knew, heard that the wages of sin is death. But we didn't believe that the wages of sin were death. We believed that the wages of sin were eternal burning in hell. And so we could never put all this together. And then over the years, I, I tried to understand God more fully. I tried to love God, but it was hard because I had a twisted idea of who God was. And when I read the book, Desire of Ages, especially chapter 1, all of that changed. I had not arrived at all the truth and understanding all the truth, but I had arrived at understanding what Jesus does for me, what Christ means to me. And that book changed my life. And Everything has been, it's been kind of a roller coaster ever since, but it has been a fun ride, I can tell you. It has been, it has been rough at times, but it has been a fun ride. And I think that is very much in tune with what I would like to talk about today. The cost, but not the cost, but the value of truth. Many times we talk about the cost of truth. Well, I was shunned, I was excommunicated, or, you know, and that kind of thing, and that's very appropriate. But people stand for truth because truth has value. Amen. And once we experience the value of truth, the world and the opposition and 
everything about the world and everything about our life and truth changes because we have experienced truth. Amen. And I, I hope I didn't make a mistake by putting some paintings in the, these slides. They're a little grisly. I will, I will tell you up front. I hope it doesn't offend anyone. But we're going to look at the apostles, the faith of the apostles, because we, we read their writings a lot and the, the counsel that they gave us and everything, but we never talk about or seldom ever talk about what they stood for in the end. In these testimonies, we will see how much they value truth. If you think about it, Christians look for opportunities to demonstrate their loyalty towards God. Isn't that true? Amen. That is Amen. why we go to church on Sabbath that way. That is why we have communion services and baptisms and all that. It's like a marriage. We are looking for opportunities to demonstrate our loyalty. And once you, you'll see as we go through these testimonies that the apostles look at, at the persecution as an opportunity. They were able to demonstrate how loyal they were to Christ. Amen. I think about the, uh, the little boy David. He was a shepherd boy, and his father had him go out and bring his brother something on the battlefield. Yes. And when he got there, you know, he had his little talk with his brothers. His brothers were not very friendly. And then this giant came walking over, walking down the hill, and he started defying their God, the Israelite God. And, and David asked his brothers, he goes, why do you allow an uncircumcised Philistine to talk like that? And they're like, well, he's big, he's a giant, nobody can handle this guy. And he's like, you've got to do something, because no, you can't have an uncircumcised Philistine talking like that. The, our God is able to overthrow their God. And that Amen. was the motivation for David to go after him. David was willing to lay down his life for, for God's glory. Amen. That is the mindset that we want to be in as we continue in our life's journey, and especially the end of time. If we live and breathe the atmosphere of God, and if we live to glorify God, and then persecution becomes an opportunity and not an obstacle. We'll see that today. My talk today is not a sermon, but it's more of a 21st version of Hebrews 11, where we will remember those that have gone before us and what they have stood for. So before we do that, let's have a word of prayer and ask God for, to bless our time one more time. Father in heaven, we're here today to glorify and honor you and talk about your goodness and your faithfulness. And uh, we also want to recognize those that have gone before us. Father, we believe that we can, we can great, gain great strength from looking those to those that went before us. So just give us a love for your truth and Father, let the Holy Spirit touch our hearts today and be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me see if this little clicker works. <clears throat> Do I do the top one? Oh, that one. Which one do I use? We'll find out. All right. So the Apostle John, after writing a lot about the account of Jesus... He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So the Apostle John was not able to come up with words 
that were adequate to describe what he saw and what he experienced. So he, he, uh, he said, he asked us to behold it. He calls us to behold it because he couldn't explain. If you read two, two uh, chapters earlier, he's, he talks about the fact, he says, we have seen, we have handled the word of God, the word of life. We have seen eternal life in Christ. And he's still trying to, to explain himself and to express himself, but he's unable, so he's, he calls upon the world to behold it. I'll get used to this. They go up. Is it me? It's a, here we go. Sorry. Paul says in Romans 14, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Even though we live in a sinful world, sinful world we can live and breathe the atmosphere of heaven. Yeah, amen. That is the truth, because it's like an umbilical cord that goes from the throne of God to the heart of the believer. And so God is calling us into a fellowship with Him that would, that would make us our relationship with God so strong that it cannot be broken. He says the kingdom of God is, is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> amen. Am I pressing this one? <clears throat> There we go. <clears throat> I think... <clears throat> and is it this one? Okay, all right. Let me go back. I think... Uh, all right, that's good. Now, just a little background on this verse. So we find, find this in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus had just had his conversation with the rich young ruler. And the kingdom of God was too costly for the rich young ruler. And then Jesus said that, he said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? And he said, it's easier to get a camel, to walk a camel through an, an, the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And then the apostle said, well, and who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, you know, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Yeah, and then... Jesus reminded him, he says, how about us? He says, we have left everything and to follow you. He said, how about us? Is there a reward for us? And then Jesus responds, he says, and Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Yeah. So Jesus assured to them, look, for those of you that have, that have sacrificed for truth, you will be greatly rewarded. Not only in this life, you will be rewarded in the afterlife. <clears throat> And John chapter 15, Jesus says, Remember the word that I, the word that I, have said, I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. We must understand, the world does not love 
true. Amen. There are individuals, the Holy Spirit works in the heart of, of individual, and we come to Christ, and we, we, we obtain a love for truth. But the world at large does not love truth. And Jesus is saying, look, don't be surprised if they reject you, because they have rejected me also. And if you think about it, Jesus was the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, the nicest man that this world has ever seen. Yes. And even religious people were very uncomfortable with him. Yes. These things I have spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he does God's service. That happens today. And we can praise God for it. It gives us an opportunity to demonstrate our loyalty towards God. So what was the gospel worth to the apostles? Everything. We're going to start with one, the first one. The gospel was not worth much to him. And you know who that is. Judas. This is a short account of, of Judas. Then Judas, and this is talking about, they were in Pilate's judgment hall. You remember Judas had betrayed Jesus because he thought if he did that, it would force Jesus to make himself king. Because he's not, never going to let anybody kill him because he is the king. He's the king, okay? And so he thought if he betrayed him, he would, it would force him to be a man, right? To stand up and be a man. And Judas had no idea he was betraying him to death. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the priest and the elders, saying... I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went, went and hanged himself. Now Judas was the treasure. I believe if we had met all the apostles, including Judas, we would have thought he's the, he's the, he's the only brain there, right? Judas was intelligent. He was, he was uh, eloquent. But he had too much pride to humble himself. Judas and John both had faults. John was humble enough to humble himself and to be taught of Christ. Judas was not humble enough to be taught. The gospel was not worth much to Judas. When the gospel, when the truth embarrassed Judas, he went out and hanged himself because he couldn't deal with it. He couldn't face it. <clears throat> Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death by the Jewish leaders in A.D. 34. You remember that Daniel 9 prophesied that the, the, the gospel will go to the Gentiles. And the Stephen was the first one to, stay, to uh, lay down his life for the truth. And now we're just going to look at all the apostles, how, how, they, how, their, you know, how they laid down their life for the truth. James was beheaded in Jerusalem in A.D. 45, Acts 12. Now, this is the story. According to the historian Josephus, James, James's executioner was so moved on account of his innocence that he pro professed himself to be a Christian. And both were led forth together to be executed. As they were being led out, the executioner asked James to forgive him. After a little, while, a little deliberation, James said, Peace be with you, and kissed him. Both James and the executioner were beheaded that day for their faith in Jesus Christ. For their faith in Christ. Yes. Amen. And the next one. Oops, let me back up. The Apostle Philip was stoned to death with his head bound to a pillar by the order of Herod Agrippa in AD 54. That it was, is what the truth was worth to him. 
The Apostle James, James the Lesser, was stoned and clubbed to death in A.D. 68. Um, can you just adjust that a little bit? If not, I can read it on my phone. Part of it is cut off. <coughs> Let me see if I can find it here. If I can find where we're at. Yeah, here we go. After writing the book of James to the 12 tribes, many believed his testimony, but the chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees rejected his testimony that Jesus was the Christ, and during the annual Passover feast, they put him on the pinnacle of the temple and compelled him to deny his faith publicly. Now, can you imagine that? So James shows up in, at the annual Passover to witness, obviously, and he was spreading the word that, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And so they put him up on the pinnacle of the temple to get him to make a public confession and deny Jesus as the Messiah. After refusing to deny his faith in Jesus, he was pushed off of the pinnacle of the temple and stoned. A little later, he was found kneeling with broken legs praying for his enemies. One of the priests fled to save his life, while another struck him over the head with a forward stick, and he died and he was buried on the spot. Now, if you think about it, he was pushed off, James was pushed off of the pinnacle of the temple. They thought, they, they thought he had died, and they found him a little later with broken legs. Now, they did not have x-ray machines back then. If, it, if they found him with broken legs, they were obviously broken. James refused to deny Jesus as his Savior. Now, today... That is easy for us because the world, you know, largely the Christian world, especially we believe Jesus, you know, Jesus is everybody's teddy, teddy bear, right? But back then, that was as politically incorrect as it is today to say that Alan White was a prophet. You've got to be kidding me, right? That's the way they looked at it. And these, these people stood for truth. <clears throat> Barnabas, a companion of Paul, was dragged out of the city and burned in A.D. 64. Barnabas had a likable personality and was an eloquent speaker, so much so that the Gentiles at Lystra wanted to sacrifice to him as a god. Remember that? After arriving in the city of Salamina, he was badly treated as a result of a Jewish sorcerer stirring up the people. He was arrested in the midst of an uproar with the intentions of bringing him before the judge. But his enemies, fearing that his innocence would be discovered and that he would be released, treated him lamentably and put a rope around his neck, drug him out of the city, and burned him. Mark the Evangelist, John Mark, dies on the way while being dragged to the site of his burning in A.D. 64. After suggesting that Jesus was the Christ at the Feast of the Passover, so he did what James did. You see that? He went to the Passover, and he's witnessing, and he's suggesting that Jesus was the Messiah. John Mark was apprehended, drugged through the city over rocks, etc., with hooks and ropes until parts of his body were scattered about, and he died. A storm prevented his enemies from burning the remains, and fellow Christians buried him, him there. That's what the truth was worth to him. You know, we read in the book Great Controversy that God's people at the end of time will not move because they are so settled into the truth. It's just not an option. 
totally, it's off the table. Compromise is off the table. That's what, ha what happens when we experience truth. We don't only read it and understand it intellectually. Once we experience truth, nothing can prevent us from embracing that truth. Yeah. And we can see it in, yeah. in these testimonies. All right, next one. Uh, that one is cut off a little bit. I'll just read it here. Um, during this same time, Nero became the emperor of Rome, nailed many Christians to wooden stakes, poured tar over them, and, and used them as torches at the amphitheater at night. That's horrible. It's unbelievably horrible. After preaching the gospel for 37 years, the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. He was 70 years old and died in Rome. You know, when they brought him up to the cross, they were going to put him on the cross, and he says, no, that's too honorable. He said, put me upside down, because it's too honorable to be, to be crucified the same way my master and Lord was crucified. Put me upside down. These people loved the opportunity, even though it was unpleasant, to demonstrate their loyalty to Christ. After preaching the gospel among the Gentiles for over 30 years, the Apostle Paul was chained up in prison for many days and at last beheaded by the order of Nero in A.D. 69. The Apostle Andrew was apprehended in A.D. 70 and crucified. This is his story. Let me just read the whole story. I think it's this one. Yes. The enemies of truth having apprehended and sentenced to death, the apostle Andrew, there it is, he went joyfully to the place where he was to be crucified. And having come near to the cross, he said, O beloved cross, I who am a disciple of him who hung on the cross desire that I too may be crucified. The apostle said further, the nearer I come to the cross, the nearer I come to God. And the further I come from the cross, the further I remain from God. I greatly long for thee. I rejoice to see thee erected here. I come to you with a um, peaceful, peaceful conscience and with cheerfulness. Another part of the story. Different Christians and other pious individuals besought... Uh, did I click that? No, I did not. The governor to Andrew to give Andrew unto them and take him down from the cross. When the apostle learned of this, he cried out to God, saying, O Lord Jesus Christ, suffer not that your servant who hangs here on the tree for thy name's sake to be released, to dwell again among men, but receive me. After saying these and many other words, he died in A.D. 70. I think it says, the account says that he was on the cross three days. And he was pleading to them not to take him down. Next one. Bartholomew. Bartholomew was severely beaten with rods, then crucified upside down, flayed alive, and at last beheaded with an axe around A.D. 70. Can you imagine what that would do to your mind, if you, if you devil your partner? But that was the kind of life that they were experiencing back then. Somebody once said that about a, a hundred years after Jesus died, they had like, we call it a general, general conference today, they had all come together, and there was almost nobody there that, was, that had all their limbs through persecution. Everyone had a leg or an arm or an eye or something missing, almost everyone that was present because of persecution. And they, 
And do you hear them complain about it, in, like in the Gospels? Never. Thomas, at Salamina, a city in East India, Thomas put a stop to the abominable idolatry of these heathen, who worshipped an image of the sun. The idolatrous priests accused him before the king, who sentenced him, at first to be tormented with red-hot plates, and then to be cast into a glowing furnace and burned. But when the idolatrous priests saw that the fire did not hurt him, they pierced his side. As he lay in the furnace with spears and javelins, he conformed in steadfastness unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who he confessed even unto death. That was Thomas. Doubting Thomas was not a doubter anymore. Matthew the Evangelist was pinned to the ground and beheaded in Ethiopia, Ethiopia in A.D. 70. That was about the time that the temple was destroyed. Two brothers, Simon Zelotes and his brother Judas Thaddeus, were martyred in A.D. 70. The one was crucified and the other beaten to death. The Apostle Matthew was crucified and stoned, was crucified, stoned and beheaded in A.D. 70. Dr. Luke was hung from an olive tree in the year A.D. 93, so he would have seen the destruction of Jerusalem. Antipas was roasted alive in a copper steer in A.D. 95. John the Evangelist, abandoned on the dreary Isle of Patmos in A.D. 97, John was banished in 1895 95, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The island was inhabited with wild animals and poisonous reptiles. He was brought back to Ephesus two years later, forced to drink poison and immersed in boiling hot oil, but was left unharmed. He died a natural death at the age, age of 80 and was buried in Asia. So we can see God demonstrates that he can overrule if he so wishes to. I love the way it says in the book, Desire of Age, it says that they banned him to a dreary island, and that dreary island with John's presence became the gates of heaven. You know, he had the revelation, you know, the revelation of revelation in there. Amazing. Now, some encouragement. That, let me just jump to this. I'm not sure why it's overlapping there. I'm almost there. Paul says in Romans 8, Verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall reveal, be revealed unto us. That was their mindset. They knew that nothing in this world could take away the, uh, the glory that, will, that they experience in Christ. And the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Yeah. Now we ask, where is the, where's the justice in this? You know, it's just horrible injustice, isn't it? And if you read, like, the Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and the Martyr Mirror, it's just full of accounts like this, and worse. Children being ripped away from their parents, I mean, it's just horrible. And I love this, uh, <clears throat> this uh, scripture in the Book of Revelation. And this is referring to the, to the martyrs. He says, When he opened the fifth seal, the angel, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, of course, this is obviously symbolic language. 
but justice is crying out. It's like, there has to be justice. <clears throat> and God responds. He says, and then a white robe was given to each one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now, if you think about it, <clears throat> during from when Jesus went back to heaven, during that time all the way to the end of, like the, to the period of Reformation, God's people demonstrated what the truth was worth. They demonstrated what the gospel was worth. And we know that, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, referring to the dark ages, but it's a dual prophecy, that there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. And if, if these days wouldn't be short, shortened, no flesh would be saved. Now, this is a dual prophecy. We know that in the end, this will repeat, be repeated. And my question is, <clears throat> will this be as much as of a literal persecution as an emotional or a psychological persecution? Because if you, if you read, read the, like the book Great Controversy, she says some will be exiled, some will be you know, in prison, etc. But the turmoil, you know, the, the mental turmoil will be unbelievable. Obviously, it will be a literal uh, persecution as well because we will be fleeing to the hills. But God is giving his people an opportunity through the ages to demonstrate what truth is worth. Now this is a fantastic statement. It says, Christ abiding in the heart shines out in the faces of those who love him and keep his commandments. Truth is written there. The sweet peace of heaven is revealed. There is expressed a habitual gentleness in more than human love. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in the heart comes out, yes. and the world is observing. Yes. And sometimes, you know, things go go don't they go things go wrong, or somebody upsets us. We say, "Well, that person made me mad." Did anybody ever make Jesus mad? Why not? Because it was not in his heart. Yes. You know, when things get hard, the th the product of our hearts come out. And we can see that in the apostles. They were, it started with Jesus. He was sorely pressed in the Pilate's judgment hall. What came out? Love. And the, and the disciples, we just read all the, the apostles, the accounts of the apostles. What came out? Love and loyalty. Because they were converted. Now, I love this one. This is talking about Paul. The heaven-born peace expressed on Paul's countenance, one, Many is sold to the gospel. Now, can you imagine that? That's an amazing statement. The heaven-born peace expressed on Paul's countenance won many is sold to the gospel. Before he ever started preaching, people were like, this person is legitimate because he has a heaven-born peace yeah. on his countenance. <clears throat> uh, let me just jump to that one. I think he's looking on that. These examples, is that the one? Um... Yeah, can you see that? All right. These examples of human steadfastness bear witness to the faithfulness of God's promises, of his abiding presence and sustaining grace. Now, that I was really impressed by that because if you look at these people laying down their lives for Christ, and we say, well, where was God? He was there. Let me read it again. These examples of human steadfastness bear witness to the faithfulness of God's promises of his abiding presence and sustaining grace. Yes. So God's presence, God's promises of his sustaining grace can be seen in their steadfastness. Yes. 
the great, that's the greatest argument. They testify to the power of faith to withstand the powers of the world. It is the work of faith to rest in God in the dark, darkest hour, to feel however sorely tried and te- tempest-tossed that our Father is at the helm. Amen. That is faith. <clears throat> the eye of faith alone can look beyond the, thing, the things of time to estimate aright the worth of eternal riches. Sometimes we, we can only, we can, the only thing we can do is, is what's right. We do what's right. We don't see any way through when we don't have to because we are sons and daughters of God and men and women of faith. We don't always know the end from the beginning, but one thing we do know, God's sustaining power will always be there. And so as we prepare and we go on towards the end of time, we know that things are going to get hard. But we have the promises that God will sustain us. We can look back to those that have gone before us. They have demonstrated to us what the truth is worth. And if we're faithful, it won't be long, and we'll be standing on the sea of glass, and we will be talking to them about their experience, and they're going to be wondering about our experiences. So let's be faithful and steadfast and unmovable and, and joyful at the same time and loving at the same time. God has called us to, to this. And so that is my message today. I just thought we would take time to look back and look at those that have gone before us and remember what truth is worth. Amen? Amen. And so God bless you all. Thank you all for uh, coming out today. Um, I love your church. It's very compatible with, with ours. You know, I, he was, he was uh, sharing with me earlier that the church was growing, and I told him, I said, well, Adventists, like, they enjoy Adventism. We like Adventist, Adventist truth, right? Amen. And when we're faithful with that, God brings his people together. Amen. So at this time, we're going to go to our closing song. Okay, so we're going to, close to our, go to our closing song. So we're going to turn on our hymnals to uh, take the world but give me Jesus. Amen. And that's found in your hymnal 329. And when you find it, shall we stand and sing?